Genesis 2, verse 5. Brian, do you want to read first? Yep. Where no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Super. Thanks for reading first, Brian. So the question that I want to start with this lunchtime is this, like what does humanity need in order to flourish? Um, I, I wonder what you guys said in your chat. Probably not very much because there wasn't enough time. Um, but Here's my sense. Um, I think Western society for um, in our current 21st century, the answer is quite clear. Uh, it is not God. I mean, think about since the, the Enlightenment, uh, the Western society has becoming increasingly more and more secular, uh, the separation between state and religion. And today, the UK, we live clearly in, in a secular nation. Now, let me be clear. I'm not advocating for 
return back to medieval times. Uh, I think there are many good reasons why church and politics uh, is a really horrible idea. Uh, but I'm simply observing the, the answer that society gives. And what does humanity need in order to flourish? Uh, you have science, technological advancement, education, uh, but clearly not God. And if you are not a Christian here today, um, perhaps you, you agree with that. Um, God is not needed for humanity to flourish. But at the same time, as, as Christians, um, it's, it's really easy to, to buy into that answer. Let me share my own experience. I, I've, I've traveled to Iran before and I, I met someone there um, who wasn't a Muslim. In fact, he was an atheist. But the person that I spent about three or four days with him and he was the nicest, most generous, kindest person that, that I ever met. And it felt like his life was, was sorted out and that he didn't need God. And perhaps for you, um, you might know people like that, uh, the nicest people that you've met. They're kind, they're generous, they're also doing well in life. Uh, perhaps some colleagues who are like that. And you might think, well, these guys, they, they don't need God. And, and that makes it hard because as a Christian, I think we, we, we know that we need to speak about Jesus but it's hard to speak about something when you don't think that the person needs to listen. It feels like you're a salesman selling something to a person that he doesn't need. And it doesn't help that you come to Thursday lunchtime and the person from the front is always telling you, you know, you need to speak to people about Jesus. And so what does humanity need um, or your colleague need in order to flourish? Well, the answer that they would clearly give was not Jesus. Uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, we are going back to the beginning in Genesis. And the aim of it, we are going to see the, the original design and the requirements for, for flourish, flourishing. And I hope that after the next 20 minutes, we, we come to clarity on this question. So what does humanity need in order to flourish? Uh, the passage um, when Brian was reading, you might have noticed, starts out with a problem. So go to verse 5. And let me read for you verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. And when we see the first half of verse 5, we are confronted with the issue, or the plot, if you like, of this chapter. Uh, the question is, how is this land going to flourish? How is the land of Genesis 2 then going to, to flourish? Uh, but before we press into the chapter, let me make a really quick clarification. Uh, the language in chapter 2 is about a land and, and a garden flourishing. Uh, but the point there is not so much that we all should be gardeners. Uh, the focus there is not in the horticulture. Uh, but rather, I think the point is something like this. Uh, the, the picture of the land or, or the garden is representative of humanity's purpose to subdue the earth. Uh, planting and, and gardening uh, is very similar to what God was doing. If you were here with us last week in chapter one, uh, he was uh, planting vegetation in the land. It's representative of God's good order in creation. 
And it's similar that Adam and Eve, uh, humanity, they were meant to image God. I mean, likewise, you were here with us last week, that they were meant to represent that good order. So the language of gardening and planting, well, it's not primarily about the horticulture, but it's representative of humanity's whole purpose. Okay, and with that, let's press into the passage and let's see what it's saying. Look at verse 5. Uh, the first thing that, that humanity needs or the land needs uh, is a man, uh, a man with a priestly responsibility. Look at verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. How is the land going to flourish? Well, quite obviously, we, we need a man, a man from the ground for the ground to flourish. But not just a man. Uh, we need a man with responsibility. I look down to verse 8 again. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up from every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of the land is good. Beldam and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. See, man was given a responsibility to work and to keep the garden. But I want to suggest that the responsibility is more than just plucking weeds or, or sowing seeds. I want to suggest that Adam is also a priest. I know that may sound a bit strange, but I think for the original reader, uh, the, the Israelite who was reading this passage, um, he would recognize that Eden, uh, the garden in Eden, sounds a bit like a temple. Um, I tried my best to, to draw it on the screen for you. Um, so you can see that Eden um, is the Garden of Eden is, is on a high place. It's on a mountain uh, because river is flowing down into Eden too and then splits into four rivers. Um, really poorly drawn anyway, uh, but to water the land. So Eden is, is on the mountain. Uh, we see the tree of life, uh, trees there, um, but it's very similar to how the lampstand in the tabernacle is described in Exodus 25. Uh, you can chase up those references. I put them on the handout. Uh, we see also gold and onyx. Um, they are jewels that are decorating the, the, the temple um, in First Chronicles. Uh, we also see that the entrance to Eden is in the east in chapter 3, verse 24. And there's a cherubim, uh, two cherubims, blocking and um, guarding the way. Uh, likewise, in the tabernacle, um, what splits the, the most holy place to the holy place and to the altar courts are curtains decorated with the cherubim. And lastly, we, we see the Lord God walking about the garden, chapter 3, verse 8. 
and we read about how the Lord God walked in the garden in Leviticus. So Eden is a bit like a garden temple. But not only Eden is like a temple, um, Adam is like a priest. Notice in verse 15, um, he is described his responsibility to work or literally to serve and to keep it or literally to guard it. And those words to work on the keyboard, to serve and to guard, um, those underlying he- the Hebrew word matches up exactly with the descriptions for the priest in Numbers. And there I uh, put for you um, on, on the handout as well, uh, those two descriptions for the priest to keep guard over the sanctuary and they are to serve in the tent of meeting. And so I know it sounds a little bit strange, but Remember, this was written to uh, people long ago. And so the ordinary Israelite, they would recognize that Eden is a bit like a temple and Adam is a bit like a priest. And I know this sounds strange to us, but don't imagine Adam um, with someone with a mitre hat or long robes and and holding a scepter in his hand. And remember, Adam was naked. So don't think priest as, as like that. But imagine Adam as priest as someone with relational proximity or closeness to to God, his creator. And you can tell that relational proximity is the focus of chapter 2. Chapter 1, the term used to describe God um, is that of Elohim, or or God. But when we come to chapter 2, notice, you might have noticed in chapter 2, verse 5, God is described as the Lord, or Yahweh, uh, the Lord God, God's covenantal relational name. So what does the land need to, to flourish? Well, the land needs men, but not just men, a man with a priestly responsibility, relational closeness with his creator. Uh, Blaise Pascal um, had this quote um, that some of you might be familiar, and he says, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. And I guess on occasions where we are most honest with ourselves, we know that there's a deep, empty hole in each one of us. And we we try to fill it with things that that don't fit. Uh, Relationship after relationship, or promotion after promotion, or experience after experience. See, I'm not saying that those things are inherently wrong. Uh, There's nothing wrong with relationships or experience or promotions. But they just don't fill the hole uh, that God Fills. It's like trying to fill an empty ocean with a bucket. See, man was created to be a priest, uh, to have a close relationship and close proximity with his creator. And so you, you consider that colleague of yours who is really nice, um, really generous, really kind and doing really well. See, underneath, he or she uh, was made for more. He or she was made to be a priest. And without God, uh, there's a God shaped hole in everyone. So what does humanity need? Uh, humanity needs man as a priest in relationship because that was what we were made for. Uh, but the narrative takes a slightly different twist. Um, we've seen the first thing that the, the ground needs in order to flourish, uh, but we see something that is, is not good. It comes as a bit of surprise. So look to chapter 2 verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. And it comes as a surprise. A man in his priestly glory, a him alone, is not 
good. Why? Because we need point two. We need men and women in perfect partnership. Men and women in perfect partnership. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into women and brought her to man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called women, for she was taken out of man. A man alone is not good and he needs woman, a woman as, as a helper. And perhaps when you hear that word helper, uh, that might ring alarm bells for, for some of you. But I want to suggest that the 21st century notions of helper is, is totally opposite from what the, the Bible means here. When we think helper, we might think, say, a domestic helper or someone who is subservient. But in the Old Testament, God himself is described as Israel's helper. A God in, in, in no way is he subservient to, to Israel. It's a divine role to be a helper. And it really makes a lot of sense because humanity needs men and women to flourish. You see, the point of, of women being a helper, it's not primarily about companionship, although that's probably true. But the point is primarily about about family. If you remember last week, we saw the, the purpose of humanity was to be in the image of God, uh, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. You see, men alone, uh, we, as hard as we try, we cannot fill and multiply the earth. A man and animal cannot fill and multiply the world. It's only men and women together can fulfill humanity's purpose. In a sense, women is the pinnacle of creation. A man alone is not fit for humanity's purpose. It's only men and women in partnership that needs to happen. And it's a perfect partnership. Uh, the men and women, uh, they are described as both naked and not ashamed. And no fear of being hurt. You see, one of the reasons why we wear clothes, apart from the fact that summer is, is clearly over, is that we, we don't want to be hurt by others, uh, to, to laugh at us, to scorn of us about our own body image. But a picture of Adam and Eve, um, men and women, both naked and not ashamed, is a picture of, of trust, a perfect partnership. So what does the land need to flourish? You need men with a priestly responsibility, but you also need women in perfect partnership to fill the earth. A few quick thoughts on application, uh, probably too much for such a short talk, but um, notice the implications for marriage, a uh, male and female um, to form between a uh, ma- marriage being between male and female, uh, the role of women as, as a helper, uh, equal yet different, and how family and children, they're all bound up in the purpose of marriage. Uh, but please uh, hear me rightly, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't there are no good reasons or individual reasons to not get married or to not have children. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. And there could be good reasons. 
But I want us to observe how society is, is undermining each point. Uh, marriage no longer is between male and female, or, but now it's male and male or female and female. And think about what society says a woman needs in order to flourish. She needs to be independent of her husband. She, she's not to be a helper, but to, to lead her husband. And how about children? Her children are seen to be an obstacle for a woman to flourish. See, on every count, society views it something completely different. And I recognize that this might sound a little great thing for, for some, but maybe at the heart of the issue is, is this, who gets to decide what's right? And I think that's why we need our last point, men and women, but also God's rule. You might notice we missed out a couple of verses. Go back to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve, the men and women, they are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You might think that sounds a bit strange, like what exactly is, is God restricting them? It can't simply be the nourishment from the fruit uh, because they have all other fruits that they can eat. And it can't simply be the knowledge of what is right and wrong. Uh, they were just told what's right and wrong. Adam was just told, do not eat. Uh, that is, that's wrong. And let me suggest the, the language of good and evil. Um, if you like, it's a, it's a summary for the whole spectrum of morality in good and evil. Similar like chapter one, the heavens and, and the earth. Or another way to put it, it's, it's divine wisdom on the whole spectrum of morality uh, to be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. And so it makes sense. Like in chapter one, God called good uh, when there was vegetation or when he created animals or created humans, he called it good. In chapter two, we see that when man is alone, he calls it not good. Um, he decides what is good and what is not good. And we saw last week as well, humanity was made to be God's image. I like him, but not him. Uh, graciously, he, he shares his rule with humanity, but he reserves the right to decide right and wrong. And coming back to the way society is, um, I think it's, it's fair to say that historically, a society, uh, we, uh, we haven't been really good at deciding right and wrong ourselves. You see, today's society, uh, we are trying to right the wrongs of the issues and problems that we created in the past. Uh, think about the sexual revolution uh, that happened in the 60s. Uh, today, we are trying to right that wrong with the Me Too movement. I uh, think about all the climate damage that we've done over the, the many years. Uh, today, we're trying to correct that wrong. And think about all the racial discrimination that has happened in the past. Today, uh, we are trying to right that wrong. But who knows what we think as right today? Uh, our children will be bearing the cost and trying to correct our wrongs. Humanity historically um, has not been good at deciding what's right and wrong. And so why should we think that we are? And so whatever endeavor that humanity undertakes without God uh, will not succeed. Uh, Genesis 2, the, 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 the crux of the point is that cannot flourish. Humanity cannot flourish without God. 
And so to summarize what we've been looking, uh, what does humanity need to flourish? Uh, we need a man with priestly responsibilities in close proximity with his creator. They need perfect partnership with women. And we need God uh, to decide right and wrong. And as we close, we, we hear the rhetoric that comes out of society saying, not God, uh, we don't need God. Um, but Genesis 2 clearly says God is, is needed. And given where our world is heading, I guess Genesis points out that what we really need um, is a rescue. Uh, why don't I pray first, and we will have some time for, for breakout groups after this. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him, he has gone into the new creation to start this new restoration of this new world. Father, we praise you that in him, humanity is being restored and we can be finally reconciled with you, our creator. And help us to reflect a bit more about this um, really big ideas um, over the next couple of minutes. Help us to be good at encouraging one another as we speak the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.